Today is the 16th of May, 2021. It's a week before uh, Visakha Puja, the day where we commemorate the birth, awakening, and parinibbana of the Lord Buddha. And we can think and recollect uh, the Lord Buddha's great compassion, a compassion so great and vast that one could find uh, no limit, no boundaries to it. This is because uh, beings wish to seek awakening. They wish to seek uh, enlightenment or awakening in their hearts. And this is something that uh, can take a very long time. And so we see the situation in the world now, uh, the pandemic of COVID spread all over the all over the world, and this is something that uh, scientists, chemists, uh, various uh, doctors and medical professionals, nurses, and so on, have been uh, helping with all over the world. And these uh, scientists and so on have been uh, trying to get a vaccine uh, for people and try to get medicine to help people, to help reduce their suffering, to help them with this illness. And so these, these scientists have the goal of getting medicine and helping people. And this is a goal coming from loving kindness and compassion to help all the various sick people all over the world to get a vaccine to protect them. And this is something that's not easy to achieve. It's not easy to get. These uh, scientists had to not meet with their family or friends or close ones and loved ones. And they had to work uh, without ceasing uh, for a long time in order to um, successfully make a vaccine. So we can see that no matter what the medicine is, no matter how good the medicine is, the medicine is not able to stop death. It's just that people die a bit more slowly. So we see that the Buddha also sought medicine as well. And this was a medicine that is capable of giving people uh, no birth. And we see that death is because of birth. And so the Buddha sought a medicine uh, to reduce birth, to stop birth, to reduce the number of lifetimes that beings experience. Because the Buddha saw that having been born are into a lifetime, then one meets with old age, sickness, and death. That this old age, sickness, and death comes from birth. And this is because of uh, liking or wanting. There's a liking for birth, a wanting of birth. And this liking, we can also call it a clinging, an attachment. Clinging to things as me and mine, as self. You can call it a thirst a thirst for existence. And this uh, thirst comes from ignorance, from awija, which then leads to craving and attachment. So the Buddha sought a way to awaken to the truth of reality. 
And we can see that the Buddha uh, has this incomparable vast wisdom, a very high level of wisdom, because even as a bodhisattva before his awakening, the bodhisattva thought that uh, there is birth and there is death, there is dark and there is light, they come as a pair. Therefore, since there is birth and death, there must be a state without birth and death. There must also be this pair as well. So the Bodhisattva had the wisdom to see that ha since there is birth, there must also be no birth. Since uh, there is uh, suffering, there must be a state without suffering. Because we see that without birth, then there is no suffering. So this is the incredible wisdom, the highly developed wisdom of the Bodhisattva to have this insight, which is an insight that other beings would not have. So we can see that in the life story of the Buddha, when he was born as a Bodhisattva, he was born in a present-day Lumbini, and just uh, seven days after his birth, his mother died. And so the Buddha, when he uh, grew up, he would think of her and realize he was separated from her. And he did have his uh, maternal aunt uh, care for him. And she acted as a second mother uh, named uh, Gotami. So even as a young person and still as a bodhisattva, the bodhisattva would have seen that uh, having birth and there's also death. And he would see the aging of uh, his father, for instance. But at this age, the parami of the bodhisattva was not yet uh, ready to ordain, not yet ready to leave the home life. And so the Bodhisattva saw old age, sickness, and death one more time, saw a birth of his son Rahula, and saw that this uh, child of his was a cause for worry, was uh, something that would tie him to the world and would make him feel that he couldn't leave the home life and couldn't leave to find a way out of suffering. So the Bodhisattva saw the suffering in the cycle of birth and death, in the cycle of samsara. And the Bodhisattva saw completely the drawbacks in samsara and felt that he must succeed in realizing Buddhahood and realizing complete and full awakening. And therefore the Bodhisattva left the home life in order to seek this very awakening, to seek this awakened knowledge, this bodhiyana. to seek a way, uh, to find the way to the state of no birth, no old age, no sickness, and no death. And this uh, sacrifice of the Bodhisattva to leave home was a sacrifice of an incredibly high level. And the reason the Bodhisattva sacrificed to this great degree was to find a medicine for all the world because we all seek medicine, uh, every single being in the world. And the Buddha is the one who found this medicine, the way to the end of suffering. 
And so what is this way to the end of suffering? What is the way to Nibbana, the state without suffering? It's this path of virtue, collectedness and wisdom, sila, samadhi and panya. So we may ask ourselves, are we able to walk this path? Are we really able to find the truth uh, that can liberate us? So before we may have already known about doing merit, making merit, uh, building wisdom, and we can ask, uh, well, what is really the way to true happiness? We may have known about merit to some degree, but we may have asked, well, what is really the best way to happiness? And the people of the world at the time of the Buddha didn't know the answer to this question, even though they sought the answer and even devoted their lives to that question. So when the Buddha awakened, then he taught uh, with wisdom, and he taught that the way uh, to this freedom is uh, firstly start with a heart imbued with virtue, which then leads to samadhi, collectedness, which then leads to wisdom. And this wisdom enables one to see the truth of reality, to see the Dhamma, and that this is the highest way, the best way. It is the supreme path. So people listen to this Dhamma, listen to this teaching of the Buddha, and they're able to understand. And before the arrival of the Buddha, the people at that time had a firm belief in uh, the Brahmanical religion and belief that the Brahmin's uh, caste was very pure uh, based on ancestral lineage, based on the caste of the mother and father, and they believed in these various texts, and people believed in this very strongly. And they may have had a, a degree of mindfulness and wisdom and virtue as well. But the Buddha taught on a deeper level. He taught what merit, what merit one should do to realize the end of suffering. And that's the merit of virtue, collectedness, and wisdom in order to bring about clear knowing. So we see that having been born, we cling to things as self in the present moment. And this is, we can say, being born in the present moment. And it's because this feeling of me and mine, this feeling of having a self, it's a feeling that we have already. It's a habit that we've had in our hearts for a long time already. This awija, this ignorance covering over our hearts, this has been going on for a long time. So we have a sense of self in order to be born in the first place. And then having been born, this sense of self uh, constantly arises uh, with clinging and attachment. And then this gives rise to uh, birth and lifetimes, even within the present lifetime, as well as um, conventional lifetimes. So we can say that we have a very good fortune to be born as humans in this life. And therefore, we use this opportunity to study the Dhamma and there's few in the world who uh, study the Dhamma to the point of understanding because this clinging and attachment 
we have to a very high degree, and it's hard to reduce this attachment, particularly the fetter of Sakaya Didi, of self-identity view. It's fixed very firmly in our hearts, and it's something that's very difficult to cure. We can take, for example, in the present time in the world, people may have a firm belief that a vaccine is very good. It's something that can protect one from the COVID uh, virus. And uh, some people may feel like they should wait till the end of the year to get an even better vaccine because the current vaccines have been uh, rushed out, have been uh, produced uh, very quickly. They should wait for a better one. Then there's other people that are of the opinion or the view that they shouldn't get the vaccine. So we can see that there are these different views that individuals have. And so we can ask, how can we change the views of people? Some people have the view that they really want the vaccine and that it's good. And so what could you say to them to make them think that the vaccine is bad and they shouldn't get it? What could you say to them to change their view? This is something that's very difficult to do. And someone that believes the vaccine is bad, uh, what could you say to them to make them change their view that the vaccine is good and something they should get? Uh, knowing what to say or to change someone's view in this way, it's very difficult, but it is possible. So this is about the views that people have. So to change a view that's very firmly embedded and very deep in our hearts, this is something that's not easy. It's not easy to change. And what is this view that's so firmly embedded deep in our hearts? It's this view of self, a view of uh, me and mine, identity view. Mpucha gave the teaching to explain this, that it's like you build a house and this house is very uh, beautiful, very well built, a place that's very nice to live in. And someone uh, is living in this house. Then someone else comes along and says, oh, this house isn't yours. Um, you should move on from this place. Uh, don't live here. And so we can see that what could this person say to get them to leave the house? It'd be something that's very difficult uh, to do to be able to convince them that the house isn't theirs, that they should leave it. Someone may say, oh, the house is no good, you should leave, and so on, but it's very difficult to change uh, someone's mind. They don't want to leave. So this is an example, a comparison. So we can see that this identity view, the Sakaya Didi, it's very deep, uh, very fixed within the heart. And it actually would be easier to convince someone to move out of that beautiful house than it would be to convince someone to reduce their self-view, their view of self. We can also compare it to a very large mountain. And there are huge explosions in this mountain. It's being uh, bombarded with these large explosions. Uh, over and over again. And we can say maybe in 50 years, the mountain would be all gone. 
having been gradually reduced by these large explosions. And so this is like uh, removing the kilesas, the defilements from the heart. So to achieve uh, no self-view, no view of me and mine, something that's very difficult. But we do have the way to do this. We, ha- we do have, we are equipped with the path to the realization of no self-view. We can see that the people in the world that understand the path of virtue, collectiveness and wisdom are very few. So we must have effort. We must really endeavor to practice this Dhamma, to really do this practice, to be sincere, but also not to be too strict and too tense with our practice because this will just lead to more stress. And if we're too relaxed and too... Uh, easy about it, then this will lead to sensual indulgence. So make your practice just right. Make it just right. Uh, as Lung Pu Cha taught, practice letting go. Don't be too strict or too loose. It's like catching a fish. If you try to grab it too firmly, you won't catch it. And if you try to grab it too loosely, you won't catch it. So we observe this in our own experience. And we practice the Dhamma, we do the meditation, do our bhavana practice. We understand the nature of uh, mental cultivation. We have mindfulness, we practice chanting. And this chanting practice is practicing mindfulness in the present moment. Because we see that birth happens right here in the present moment. We experience a birth into lifetimes in the present moment. And the past, whether it's a past life or past many lifetimes, or past years, past months, uh, past day, past hours, it's all the past. Those are all lifetimes lived in the past. And the present, uh, one is born into the present, and the future is not yet arrived. So understand that one is born into various lifetimes right here in the present moment. So contemplate this birth that happens right here in the heart in the present moment. And contemplate that this birth comes from liking and disliking. Disliking and disliking that are arising constantly all the time. So may you have effort and diligence in this practice and practice in a way that's just right. Lumpu Cha taught the right way in Dhamma practice. Uh, Lumpu Cha taught it's like eating and learning to eat just the right amount. We can see that if we eat too much, we give rise to feelings of discomfort and we can become drunk on the food, like eating too much sticky rice. And then our mind doesn't feel fresh and doesn't feel uh, bright. Our brain doesn't feel fresh or bright. And when this happens, we know that we've had too much food. And if we have too little food, then we'll get uh, discomfort arising as well. So we have to understand what's just the right amount. And this, this is something that's not easy, something you have to practice and something that one has to be very careful and restrained with. This is something the monastics uh, must practice as well. 
if there's a food item that we have a liking for, we try to take just the right amount, uh, take just the right amount, not too much. And the food that doesn't suit one's body, that isn't good for oneself, then you don't take. So you contemplate before taking all the four requisites of robes, food, uh, lodging, and medicine. And also in terms of Dhamma practice, sleep is also very important. We see if one eats a lot, then one sleeps a lot. These two come together. And this makes the body not fresh, not at ease. Mupucha taught that one can get drunk on sticky rice. And having been drunk on sticky rice, then one sleeps and doesn't want to get up. One doesn't want to do sitting or walking meditation. This is a state of drunkenness. So may you be very careful with this. Have a lot of restraint and care with regard to this. Uh, have effort. Endeavor to practice uh, sleeping just five hours a night should be sufficient. And perhaps an hour uh, rest during the day. One can wake up at 3 a.m., and go about the monastic routine, not to seek uh, pleasure in sleep or food, but to understand uh, what's just the right amount. And to understand uh, eating properly is to understand uh, training the mind, to understand bhavana. So we can see that the, the lifetimes arising in the present moment, uh, where are they arising from? Uh, what are they arising from? Where is the liking and disliking? Uh, what are we liking and disliking? We see that the six sense bases uh, come into contact with their respective objects. And this gives rise to feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling. So sometimes we like, sometimes we dislike. And this liking and disliking, it's coming and going all the time. So may you be very careful with this. This is right where the defilements arise. Uh, right here is where the kilesas arise. So the mind that's brought to samadhi, that a mind that is peaceful, can know right here uh, the arising of the kilesa. So bring the mind to peacefulness and calm, and then you can have mindfulness with the heart and restrain the mind. Uh, contemplate old age, sickness, and death. Contemplate that life is uncertain. Uh, death is certain. The end of one's life is death. And this is for sure. And this contemplation is capable of bringing the mind to peace and stillness. And may you cultivate loving kindness and compassion. You see that people in the world are experiencing uh, difficulty and you can help them. You may cultivate compassion and engage uh, in helping them according to your ability to help society. You see that some people don't have enough food and don't have enough of the basic requisites. And so one can cultivate loving kindness and compassion uh, for all the people in the world. And we see that this is a very good opportunity for 
the building of spiritual virtues, for the building of one's parami. We can see that practicing like this can bring our hearts a lot of ease and a lot of happiness. We see that we don't need much. Uh, our hearts are happy just like this. And then having done acts of generosity, uh, virtue, and self-sacrifice, then we can recollect these acts and we think of them naturally. This brings our heart even more happiness uh, due to this uh, sacrifice and giving. And this is the recollection of one's uh, giving and relinquishment, uh, chaganusati. We can see that those without much um, know the way to to make merit, know how to help each other. Uh, they just know this uh, more naturally. And they and one helps according to one's strength and energy, according to one's ability. So we continue to practice in this way. We know the mind that has liking or disliking, whether it's liking arising or disliking arising. And we see that our lifetimes, our birth, it arises right there, passes away right there. We teach our hearts that it's all impermanent, it's all uncertain. And given that it's impermanent and uncertain, why bother clinging to it? Why bother attaching? We see that those in the world, there are some who have a lot of wealth, a lot of material wealth. But with this situation of uh, COVID in the world, sometimes there's no uh, hospital beds available. There's no doctors available. There's no medicine available. So one can see that um, whether one's rich or poor, in the end, there's actually no difference at all. So we contemplate like this. Contemplate that it's all uncertain. Uh, contemplate the uncertainty of life. Contemplate the body as not me, not mine, not a self. This is capable of cutting off the self-view in the heart, seeing that the body is just a heap of the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water, that it's not a self, not a me or a mine. So contemplate this a lot, do this a lot. If the mind is uh, chaotic and busy, then chant a lot, uh, chant to bring about a stillness of mind. You can chant the recollection of the qualities of the Buddha, the Itibiso chant 108 times to bring the mind to stillness. Whether you chant slowly or quickly, uh, the goal is to bring the mind to peace, to bring the mind to samadhi. Sometimes while you're chanting, you may feel that you want to contemplate uh, well, what is Bhutto? What does that really mean? It means the one who knows, the one who is awake. And we can ask, well, what, uh, what does the one who is awake, what does it know? And, and we can contemplate this, contemplate that it knows the truth of the way things are. And we can contemplate the loving kindness and compassion of the Lord Buddha. And this can bring about a very deep feeling in our hearts or we can contemplate a certain aspect of Dhamma teaching, such as the teaching about not liking or disliking. We contemplate this as Dhamma, contemplate that this is the way to see the Dhamma, 
this not liking or disliking. And this is a noble dhamma that one can know and see for oneself. And we contemplate in this way, and this reduces the amount of birth and death that we have to experience uh, based on this understanding. So we keep uh, practicing. We have mindfulness with this. Uh, we contemplate. We do this a lot. And if we do this a lot, if we do this consistently, then it won't be long before we have true understanding arise. So may you have patience with this. May you patiently endure. It's uh, difficult. It's something that's not easy to do. But one has uh, spiritual virtue. One has parami already. And when the parami is ready, then the mind uh, gathers together to see clearly. In the past, I myself didn't think that uh, this would be possible or that this would happen, that while listening to Dhamma, that the mind would be able to gather together, become uh, collected and bright like this. And then the mind is able to see the truth of the way things are, the truth of Dhamma right in that moment. And this experience is capable of dispelling all doubts in the heart. And this mind that's uh, clear and free of doubt and can see that all people are born and die, are born and die. It's like people are in the midst of a fire. All beings are surrounded by a fire. This fire we see uh, more clearly in the present situation in the world seeing that all, uh, or all people can see more clearly now the old age, uh, sickness and death that uh, happens in the world constantly. We see this with our outer eyes, and then we have effort to practice the Dhamma. And having practiced, then we can see with our inner eye, can see with our mind, can see more and more clearly that all beings must die that we ourselves must die, and therefore we seek a way out of suffering. And this is a mind that can become very full, uh, very happy, very contented, and rapturous uh, by virtue of the Dhamma. So may we all do this practice with firm intent. May you all, be, may you all set your hearts on this practice.